the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now, here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. Our spiritual needs are far more important to God than our physical needs. God is more interested in our soul than what our body goes through. And I know, I know many people reject that, that notion. But it, nevertheless, it's, it's very evident, you know, in, in our life. You know, we feed our bodies. You know, I mean, we eat three times a day. If you're like me, you eat six times a day. Because it's important to feed our body. But God is saying it's more important to feed your soul. It's more important to feed your soul. It's your soul that deals more with God, not your body, right? I mean, it's the soul that communicates with God. It's the soul that truly seeks hard after God. It's the soul that has an awareness of God. And it's the soul that will look at God eye to eye. And God is saying, your soul is more important than your body needs. Don't worry, later on I will give you a new body. Don't have to worry about that. But for now, as we're being transformed and transitioned, your soul and my soul are far more important to God than anything else. Now, physical food is important, right? But when was the last time that you said to yourself, oh, that burger gave me a lot of hope? That burger doesn't give you hope. Only the Word of God can give us hope. And yet we focus on that. Oh, that pastor really encouraged me today. This is what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Imagine if all of us here in this church and all of the Christians in the world hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will be the healthiest creatures on earth when it comes to spiritual things. We, we know all about this thing. We know all about the food analogy of the Word of God being fed in our spirits. When you, when you, get, you don't want to go to work, you call in sick. I, I know some of you may still do that, right? What do you do when you're not really sick, but you call in sick just so that you can have a day off? You fake your illness. You, you, you fake your voice on the phone. <laughs> I just can't come in today. You know, I'm not feeling well. Then after you hang up the phone, you got, hung, you got so hungry and you feed yourself a big breakfast. If you have an appetite, you're not sick. Spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. 
you're sick spiritually if you don't have an appetite for the Word of God. I mean, that's just as simple as that. You know, we have appetite for the physical, but when it comes to the spiritual, are we hungering and thirsting for the things of God? It's a sign of our level of satisfaction in this world. Check your spiritual appetite and it'll show you a great deal. It'll show me a great deal about my satisfaction with God. But that's not all. Secondly, we need to accept no substitute but for the true answer that Jesus has, has to offer. Okay? There's only one answer. We have to accept no substitute for what is true and right. Look at verse 27. It says, Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For in Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Again, I go back to, to, to that singleness of God's plan for redemption. His plan is Jesus. There's no other substitute but a, re, but a relationship with Jesus that is growing and maturing and taking over our our life. We are dissatisfied even as Christians simply because we put a lot of substitute towards that relationship. C.S. Lewis once said that the greatest temptation genuine Christians face is substituting a strong relationship with Jesus with a lot of other additives. We mix things with our relationship with Jesus. And those things that, that we mix in with our, the, the primacy of our relationship with Jesus. And, and they end up being a substitute for the real thing. We often substitute good works with our relationship with Jesus even as Christians. We say things like, I am a Christian, therefore I must help the poor. Now don't get me wrong. Christians do help the poor. But you're not a Christian because you help the poor first. You're a Christian because of your relationship with Jesus. We say things like, I'm a Christian, therefore I need to be involved in the injustices and the social justice issues and abuse of all kinds. Now that's a, that's a noble thing to pursue. We need to address those issues of injustices in our world. But that's not our primary call. We say things like, uh, uh, I need to have a, 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 a strong political stance. I need to be pro this and anti that because I am a Christian. Now, every stance we make, if it's biblical, it's the right stance. But that's not, that's not a substitute for a growing, vital relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are just substitute. What good is it if you do all of these things? You help the poor. You're involved in social issues. You're involved in all kinds of pro-this, anti-that thing. What good is that if your relationship with Jesus is lousy? You don't know the first thing about what Jesus is all about, what Jesus said, who He is. And we, get all, we often get labeled as, you know, partisan people because as Christians, we focus on the issues of the day. No, you don't focus on the issues of the day. You focus on what Jesus says for you on the day that you have communion with Him. The real focus of our faith 
is to have a strong relationship with Jesus. Once that relationship is strong, our thinking will change and God will show us the way to righteousness and then we make our stand and we could never go wrong on the stand that we make. Why are so many Christians confused about the social issues that we face today? Why are some Christians accepting a certain lifestyle and other Christians reject it? Why are some people, why are not Christians united on one singular righteous stance? Why are some Christians pro-life and why are some Christians uh, pro-choice? I don't, I could never believe that. I could never accept that. We are never called to be pro this, anti that, or what not. We're called to follow Jesus. And whatever Jesus said we follow, wherever the chips fall, that's where we go. That's the hill that we fight in. I'll die on the hill of the word of God. Doesn't matter what the world says. Many of us do a lot of good deeds, but our relationship with Jesus is pretty lousy. In John chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, there's a story about Jesus in the house of Mary. And Mary decided to take a, an alabaster jar of oil and start washing Jesus' feet with that very expensive oil, right? And guess who showed up in the room? Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot says, why are you wasting this oil on the feet of Jesus? Isn't this better? Isn't this of better use if we sell this oil, this expensive oil, and give the money to the poor? And Jesus said to Judas, leave her alone. The poor you will always have. But your priority is not the poor. Your priority is to serve me. To serve Jesus. To get to know Jesus. To establish that relationship with Him. We cannot possibly substitute a lot of the good deeds we do as a substitute for our relationship with Jesus. The good deeds are a fruit of our relationship with Jesus. It's not the other way around. St. Augustine said this, The temptation of sin is elevating the lesser good with the greater good. I don't care how much involvement we have on social issues, how much involvement we have in, in helping the poor, and we should be. We do it on our own. We do it as a church. We do it in this church. We have ministries like that. We do go out of our way, but that those things that we do are never a substitute for getting to know Jesus in a deeper way. You might not accept that. You might not receive that, but that's the focus of who we are. Let me ask you this morning, where is your heart in your relationship with Jesus? Being a Christian, as one preacher said, is not a position we take on an issue. It's our relationship with Jesus. When was the last time you strengthened your heart by worshiping Jesus by yourself? Daily. Here's another question. When was the last time you wept before God? when you realize how merciful he has been to you? When was the last time you shed a tear knowing that God has been gracious to you, that you didn't deserve what you have, and yet God has sustained you by his love and his grace? When was the last time you cried out to God simply because you're grateful to God? We can measure the strength of the heart by the volume of water that comes out of the eyes. And I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about being truly broken before God to recognize that apart from Him, we can do nothing. 
We just, we just don't say to God, I'm a Christian, I'm helping my neighbor, I do this, I don't lie, I don't kill my neighbor, I don't do all of these things. Those are all fine and good. Even the pagans don't lie. Even the atheists love their neighbors. What good is that? What good is that to you? What does that mean to you and me? No, our focus is knowing Jesus and the power of His crucifixion. Look at verse 28 in our text. Then they asked Jesus, What must we do to do the works God requires? These are Jesus' followers asking Him, what, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, You must be a Democrat. Oh, no, no, you must be a Republican. Oh, no, no, you must be independent. Oh, no, 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 you must help the poor. Oh, no, you must get involved in social issues. Is that what Jesus really said? You know, so many Christians today, so many churches, you know, and I'm not saying this just just to, to condemn anybody. I don't do that. But so many of us as Christians, we're so concerned about reaching our culture that we forget that that's not our primary goal. We're so, you know, we're, we're so, I don't, I don't know what, what word to use. We're so enamored by the culture that we want to do everything to reach them, to reach them for the kingdom of God. You know, we, 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 we so want to win them, or maybe the other way around, we so want the culture to recognize us as Christians that we forget that we must be separated from the culture. You know, we, we, we know we want to reach out the unbelievers and we do anything, even, even to agree with what unbelievers want to do, with, with, unbe- with how unbelievers think, just so that we can win them to the kingdom because we think that the primary goal of our existence is to win our culture to the church. That isn't our primary goal. Our primary goal is to lift up the name of Jesus, whose name is above the culture. And if the culture hated Jesus, don't worry, he has overcome the culture. Our role is to stand for who Jesus is. We start adapting cultural trends in the hope that, hey, you know, if you just, Pastor, if you just stop preaching about this, maybe more people will come to church. Let me just say this to you right now. I'm not smart enough or good enough to make people come to church. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Nobody else, not you, not me, no preacher can do that. And if God takes me home, I want to face God saying, I preach Jesus, not win the people. Now, I'm not saying don't share the gospel to people. But you need to understand that the Spirit's work is still active. We are witnesses. We're not technicians or engineers or social engineers or anything like that. We're not called to, you know, to, to look at our culture and say to the culture, you know, if we just do this, if we just tweak our beliefs, if we tweak our rhetoric, if we tweak everything that we do so that the people can love us more and maybe come into the church or maybe this or maybe that, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't marvel that the world hates you. Because it hated me first. It's hatred towards Jesus. Now, people don't have 
problems with Jesus? Let me, let me tell you. You ask a pagan what he or she thinks about Jesus, and they more likely will say he was a good man, he's a great teacher, or he's a great leader and all of that. It's not the Jesus that they have a problem with. It's the authority that Jesus said that if you don't trust me, you will be condemned. That's what they reject. And that's what we proclaim. What must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. That's it. That's the work of God. That's your work. That's my work. Don't get me wrong. We should exercise our faith in every aspect of society. We, think to, we need to bring our faith in the workplace. We need to bring our faith in politics. We need to bring our faith in education. But it's not a substitute for a growing relationship with Jesus seen in our faithfulness, in our prayer life, in our boldness and in our witness, and the purity of life, and the knowledge of God's Word. That's our primary goal. Thirdly, we need to accept the sovereignty of God in all aspects of life. The sovereignty of God in all aspects of life. If you want to find real satisfaction in Christ, believe in Him unconditionally. If I ask you this morning, do you believe that God loves you unconditionally? You will say, of course, Amen. Say amen. You're in church. But do you believe in God unconditionally? Stop putting requirements in your faith. Oh God, I will do this if you do this. Stop asking, what's in it for me, oh God? That's why a lot of people never satisfied. They have conditions in their trusting in God. We may verbally say that we trust in Jesus, but our attitude towards Jesus is very, very Northern California, you know. There's got to be something in it for me. Look at verse 30 in our text. It says, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see, see it and believe? That, who you, that you are who you said you are. What will you do? You know what, what, what boggles my mind? He walked on water. He fed 5,000 people. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. And they asked the question, show us a sign. Hello? <laughs> what will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And of course, you know what Jesus said to them. I am the bread of life. <laughs> I'm the one that you need. What will you do for me, Jesus? What can living rock do for me? What's in living rock that, 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 that will benefit me? The answer to that is simple. Nothing. Because only the Spirit of God can satisfy the longing of your soul. This is just a church. This is just, as Peter Sellers would say, this is just a room full of empty people. Let me ask you a question this morning when it comes to your relationship with God and your relationship with His body. Are you a buyer or a beggar? Now you may say, well, that's a simple question. 
Now, what is a, a beggar? A beggar is someone who wants to get his money's worth when it comes to anything that, that he wants to get. Right? A beggar just accepts what he gets. Right? I want to tell you now, God is looking for beggars. You know who we are here? You know what we are here? We're just beggars leading other beggars where to find bread. That's who we are. That's what God is looking for. Well, that's so bad, pastor. You know, you're calling us beggars. That's what we are. When we come to faith in Jesus, he gets to rule. You know what Christianity is? Is exchanging one form of slavery to another. Right? One form of slavery to another. In Jesus, we have been set free. Amen? We have been set free. But the moment we got set free, we become slaves of Christ. So it's just an exchange of masters. We're still slaves. Paul calls himself a slave of Christ. Duolos is the word. That's an important word. I can tell you now, God wants beggars. He doesn't want buyers. The people who ask Jesus, what will you do for us so that we may believe? This is what Jesus said to them. And Jesus declared, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. It doesn't matter whether, you know, a person, uh, you give a person everything that they want or ask for like a church or for a relationship with Jesus. That's not the basis for why, why people believe. People believe because they see the light that the Holy Spirit has been showing them. They see the light. You know, they come to the realization like that prodigal son. You come to a realization that without Jesus, there's nothing. Do you acknowledge God's absolute rule in your life? Or do you still rule by your own way, by your own standards? That's why there's so much unfulfillment in, in your Christian life. You're a Christian, but you're all over the place looking for ways to satisfy yourself spiritually in your relationship. Because you can't be satisfied by what Jesus said. You, we can't be satisfied by what, what the Word says to us. We're always looking for more things, more substitute. God's reign is personal. We either accept His rule or we reject it. We don't get to rule once we enter the kingdom of God. He gets to rule. The destiny of every person who comes to faith in Jesus is to bow down to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, Master. That, mean, that makes us slaves to a ruling king. He gets to rule. We get to obey. We get to bow down. He gets to be lifted up. John the Baptist said it famously. He must increase and I must decrease. That's the Christian attitude. And finally, the fourth point is this. We need to accept that faith is not just a set of rational beliefs, but a very sacred relationship with Almighty God, okay? Faith in God is a sacred, it, there's a sacredness in that relationship, and they're just not rational beliefs. There's not a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things about being a Christian that's hard to explain away. 
and yet our faith is not rooted on what can't be what can be explained our faith is rooted on the revelation of God's word and that's what we take and that's what we believe our relationship with Christ is not intended to simply help us navigate our way through life here on earth it's also to prepare us for eternity with Him. That's when that transformation and that transition takes place the moment we are born again. We are focused on eternity, and while we're still here, we're focused on glorifying and magnifying the name of the Lord. We become reflections of God's glory, and that's when real satisfaction sets in. Finally, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will. Jesus says, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. Are you satisfied with that transaction? Are you satisfied that when you go to the table of the Lord this morning that he has already done what he intended to do? The work is finished. The stelestai, as the word Jesus says. It's done. Are you satisfied with God's plan for your redemption? Are you satisfied with God's plan for your life? Are you satisfied with the commandments that Jesus has already given? If not, then we need to really do a lot of soul searching because we're not going to alter anything that God has already revealed. Amen? You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 10.30 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.